that time, some Chaldeans approached the king and maliciously attacked the Jews. Uh, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Your majesty, may you live forever. You, your majesty, gave an order that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the triangular harp, the pipes, and all kinds of musical instruments must fall down and worship the golden statue. Did they have to take a deep breath like I do when they were saying all this? I think. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. Did I talk to you about the furnace last time? About what it was probably for? Can we just review that? Can you? I, I think it was probably used to make the bricks to build the statue of the obelisk in the first place. And it was still there and, and, and still going. Uh, and now verse 12. There are Jews whom you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men do not pay attention to you, your majesty. They do not serve your gods and they do not worship the gold statue that you set up. Um, is it all true? Yeah, I think so. Still a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Um, then, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar said to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and that you do not worship the golden statue that I set up? Now, I'd like to just comment and maybe, maybe uh, undo something I said earlier. Because in this verse, uh, in verse uh, 14, uh, I don't know if it's a slip on the part of Nebuchadnezzar or if we're misunderstanding the purpose of the obelisk, but I said that the obelisk seems to say that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to unite the worship of Babylon. What do you see here in verse 14 that suggests that maybe he wasn't? Colleen? Gods in the plural, yeah, in, uh, in, in Aramaic, Elohai. Um, uh, so, and I don't know if this is just Nebuchadnezzar forgetting his whole purpose or if I've misunderstood the point of the statue. Did, was he just trying to an, introduce a new divinity by having people worship this statue. Um, the Babylonians did not worship their kings as divinities, near divinities, but not, divin but not gods. Um, so what was the point? Was he just trying to establish a new, a new day of worship for a new deity, or what was going on? You have an idea, Diane? I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he already is in charge. I mean, he's, maybe. He, he doesn't strike me as a man who was consistent with everything that he said and did. And so maybe he himself is just kind of all over the place. Um, it's hard to have a person like that in charge. Um, I did once when I worked at McDonald's. I had a manager who was all over the place one day and all over the place the other, another day. And you just never knew what she wanted. You, you know, it was just, it was really hard to work there. Um, and she wasn't too interested in the running of the place either. Um, so it just became difficult to be there after a while. And we saw, what do you think you see in a business like that? Lots of turnover of employees. Yeah. 
a lot of your best people leaving, a lot of new people coming all the time, and yeah, it's just a mess after a while. All right. So is it true you don't serve my gods? Um, now, if you are ready, at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the triangular harp, the pipes, and all kinds of musical instruments, you must fall down and worship the statue I made. What's he doing? Say it again. He's giving him a second chance. You know, he's, he's in a rage, but he brings them forward. He doesn't necessarily take the, the advisor's word for it. He's, you know, I, I think Nebuchadnezzar had a soft spot for the Jews. He certainly liked Daniel and, and, and these guys earlier, and, and now he just says, is this really true? I'm going to, let's, let's do this. Maybe you just didn't understand. So we strike up the band, and now what do you do? You know, that, that's, that, that's what he's doing here. Um, but he says, if you do not worship, you will immediately be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. What gods will be able to save you from my hands? Um, this is a long verse. <laughs> Can I just say that? This is, this is a long verse. It's uh, in... in, in uh, in Hebrew, it's, or in Aramaic, it's 39 words long. Anybody know what the longest verse of the Bible is? This is kind of trivia, but it's not much longer than this. Um, it's Esther 8, 9 with 43 words. This is 39, so it's pretty close to being just about the longest verse in the Bible. Um, I also should apologize to you. Have you heard me talk ever about trivia and talked about the shortest verse in the Bible? Yeah, it's Job said. Um, and uh, and I, I, I use it as like a trivia question with catechism students and so forth. However, uh, a couple days ago, I was talking with, with an individual who was feeling guilty over grieving for someone that they had lost. And uh, you know what I found really useful? Was Jesus wept. <laughs> And, um, and, I, and I said, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? And she said, Jesus wept. And I said, you hang on to that and remember that just as you grieved, so also Jesus grieved. And I thought, you know what, maybe I should shut up about what's actually the shortest verse in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So. so I apologize. Let's go on. However, uh, notice that he says, what gods will be able to save you from my hands? Um, well, is he about to get an answer? Yeah, yeah. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you about this matter. So they answered him by saying, we don't have to answer. Uh, since our God, whom we serve, does exist... He is able to save us from the blazing, fiery furnace. So he may save us from your hand, your majesty. Um, uh, their faith is tremendous. Their faith is commendable. Did they have a special promise from God that he would spare them from the furnace? Nope. Nope, not at all. But, but they, they believe that God can, if he chooses, save their lives. And so that's their attitude, and that's their prayer. So I want you to look at the, at the, at the last sentence. 
he says, or they say, so he may save us from your hand. And then the next sentence begins, but if he does not. This is, I don't want to get into it too much, but it's, it is tricky but interesting Aramaic here. Um, on the one hand, it's kind of if he does, if he does not. That's the sense of the two phrases. They're nearly identical. Um, so they just got done saying, uh, can I go back a thing? Yeah. He may save us from your hand really is in Aramaic is kind of if he does, which our, uh, this is the EHV, takes it to say he may save us, but kind of if he does, and then if he does not, you should know. I just want you to know that's kind of tricky, but I, I appreciate the way that the EHV and the NIV and others have taken it because it's not the easiest phrase to translate. Um, but if he does not, that is, save us, you should know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. So their attitude is, do with us what you will, but we will not worship this golden statue. I'm not going to change my faith and then face the judge. Uh, I, I would rather you kill me so I can face the judge with my faith intact. That's, that's their attitude toward Nebuchadnezzar. Um, can I just read this from Philippians? Do you know what I'm about to read if I say Philippians? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Um, beautiful words from Paul and words I would hope that would be on my lips in the same situation. I don't know how things will go in our country with the atheist tide rolling in. Uh, maybe I will have to say words like that one day. All right. Nebuchadnezzar. So what happens? Uh, I talked about that. Did I talk about that? Yes, I did talk about that. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it was usually heated. Um, let me ask you, I want to see if you've been affected by reformed commentators on the radio. What's the difference in the Bible between seven of a thing and ten of a thing? Seven usually, in, in, a, in a poetic or a dramatic sense, seven is usually what? The number of? Then what's ten? Seven is the number of holiness. Ten is the number of completeness. And I hear it wrong on the radio all the time lately. I read it wrong in commentator, commentaries all the time lately. Spiritual numbers go like this. Three, you can probably guess. Three is the number of what? God, the Trinity. Yeah. Four, think of a compass. Four is the number of creation, the earth. Four compass points and so forth. 
Um, to, the, to the Jews, the compass pointed in what direction? East. Yeah. That's why we still say today, I want to orient myself. I want to get myself facing east. That's the orient. We live out west. We live in the occident. But the orient is east. Um, uh, number five had any, any significance? Not so much. Six? Creation six and seven. Seven is the number of holiness. And by the way, seven is God's number plus the world's number added together. That's holy. And the, 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 the number of creation and so forth. One less than holiness seems to be the significance of six. Falling short of holiness. And we have a different word for that. What do we call falling short of holiness? Sin. Yeah. Yeah. Sin carried out visually to its furthest ultimate completion. 666. Yeah. 666. Um. Eight and nine don't so much have numerical values in, in symbolic literature, but 10 and 12 do. 10 is an APGAR score. Anybody know what an, anybody here young enough to know what an APGAR score is? When a baby is born, the baby is given an APGAR score, named after Dr. APGAR. But he took his name and made an acronym. A is appearance, P is, I think, pinkness. G is uh, maybe general or overall. Uh, a is asp or, or R is respiration at the end. Anyway, the nurse is supposed to give the baby a number, one, two, or three, uh, to get a, an, an average APGAR score. So you want uh, the APGAR score to average out to be, oh, pretty good, like a three. And then they do it again a few minutes later, like I forget if it's five or ten minutes later. Second APGAR score. And then you take those. Is the child progressing? Are we doing okay? And that's it. But before Dr. APGAR came up with that, the nurse would turn to the mom and say, how many fingers? Ten. How many toes? Ten. Baby's breathing. Baby looks pink. We're good. So Dr. APGAR took that ten for appearance and, uh, and said, does the baby look like a natural, typical baby? And, you know, what do we have? That's an APGAR score. But 10, the number of completeness. And you'll see when God says something in the old, like, a, like a, a punishment coming, if he starts multiplying it by 10, that's a serious punishment coming. Um, and then 12? 12 is, we go back to 3 and 4. 3 and 4, 3 plus 4 is the number of the world. Or of, of holiness, rather. What's three times four? Twelve, the number of the... Or, or in a more general way, the church. Twelve is the number of the church. Um, so who do you have bowing down before God in Revelation in the throne of God? How many elders are bowing there? Twenty-four. What can that possibly mean? It's the Old Testament church... And the New Testament church, all of those who have put their faith in God are present in heaven before God. So that's what those numbers spiritually tend to mean. Here, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar was an Old Testament scholar. Um, but when he says, turn it up to seven, anybody seen the movie This is Spinal Tap? 
there's a line in that movie. It's an old comedy movie from the 80s. But I, I, so a, a guitar player, instead of having his numbers on his guitar go up to 10, they go up to 11. Well, what's the point? Well, it goes up to 11. It's one more. It doesn't mean anything. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, crank it all the way up to seven. Uh, seven times hotter. And seven times hotter. What, is it possible in a, in, a fir, in a fiery furnace like this to go up to seven? Well, we don't have a lot of time, but I did the research. So look at the screen and forgive me. Measuring BTUs, which is a British thermal unit, um, notice that uh, pine, ordinary pine, the most common wood we use for stuff, uh, burns the coldest of all of these things at just 14 million BTUs per cord. A cord of wood is, I don't know, so much, but it's two tons of wood. Okay? That's, that's how much heat you get from that much lumber. If you use something a little bit better, like uh, dried animal dung, and burn the same amount, two tons, you get 17 million BTUs. So it would be better to use animal feces than pine trees. You get a hotter fire. Um, and then I just kind of, for fun, looked around. Uh, oh, yeah, there's pine, uh, that is maple. Uh, maple, 18. Ash, 19 million. Juniper, a kind of pine tree we have around here also, 21 million. That's really good. Look at the bottom. Coal. Just 20 million. Not, there's a lot of wood that burns hotter than coal. Um, and in fact, when you get to the kinds of lumber that produce fruit, um, and I don't know if it's always true, but hickory, but especially orange, an apple, but, but look at orange trees. 40 million, that's twice and almost three times as hot as ordinary pine. Now, if you add uh, the work of a bellows, remember I said to keep a bellows in your head for a minute? What, what is a bellows? Yeah, a bellows is a hole at the end of a fabric bag. When you squeeze the bag, it forces air out the little hole, and it makes air rush into a place, and it makes fire burn hotter. It's why you blow on a fire when you first make it out in the woods. Um, and so if you get from three times to say five times hotter, um, you know, I don't know what he was burning that he thought he could get to seven. But he wants to go all the way up. Um, and I'm going to say maybe, maybe it was possible to get to seven times hotter physically. I don't know if they had a way of, of measuring it or if they had like bins of wood that were labeled, you know, like hot, hotter, hottest or something like that. But I've heard pastors say that if he just threw on coal as opposed to dung, it would have done the trick. But I kind of think if he would have thrown on maybe applewood or orange wood, and one wood that nobody has ever measured. I can't find it anywhere online. Which is um, palm trees. Nobody has ever measured the BTU of, of date palms, which they would have had in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Babylon. I don't know. So, but they also would have had apple and orange trees there too. So I put the orange tree in there. So hotter as possible. Let's continue. He ordered some men who were soldiers from his army. By the way, were soldiers the guys who probably usually made the bricks? I kind of don't think so. 
I think potters would have made bricks. I think soldiers get brought in because he wants to use force, but he's forgetting who usually works with the furnace. I'm not sure this was a wise thing to do. So he ordered some soldiers to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to throw them into the blazing, fiery furnace. So these men were bound in their coats, their pants, their turbans, their other clothing, and they were thrown into the middle of the blazing, fiery furnace. So wearing all their royal or official robes, wearing their badges of office, they were tied up and thrown in. Because of the king's order, or because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were killed by the intense heat of the fire. And I think that the fact they were soldiers and not the guys who usually ran the furnace might be part of that. I think he made a mistake. But they were killed. But then God tells us, this is miraculous, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had been tied up, fell into the blazing, fiery furnace. Do you think they got pushed in from the side or from the top? Why would you have a hole in the top of a furnace like this? I, I, I just wonder about that. Like, what use would a hole in the top be? I, I mean, if I push you into, into a room, into a closet, and you fall, can I say that you fell into the closet? And, and so, can we understand this? to be from the side and not the top? The top doesn't make sense to me. I, I, in a furnace like this, a big one, you'd want to be able to get in and get the bricks out or whatever. So yeah, you would have to have some kind of a way of getting in there. Um, it's a little bit like the pan under your oven or under your stove. You have a thing that pulls out, usually so you can get the, or under your, um, under your toaster, a little thing that slides out. Maybe you've never done it, but it's there to get the crumbs out and everything else. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was startled and immediately stood up. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men who had been tied up into the middle of the fire? They answered, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men who are untied and walking around in the middle of the fire unharmed. What is more, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Um, this is a unique expression in the Bible, a son of the gods is not the same as the Son of God, but could all the references to the Son of God that appear in the books after this, like Ezekiel and, and, and Matthew and so forth, come back to this and, and touch on it, perhaps? Who was this individual, by the way? Could be either Jesus or an angel, right? Could be one or the other. We're not actually told. So I would prefer to think of it as being the second person of the Trinity. Um, but we're not actually told, so I'm, I'll just leave it at that, if I may. And also, later when Daniel goes to the lion's den, who goes in to shut the mouths of the lions? An angel. Yeah, so could be a parallel there. But I'm okay. Let's, let's leave it at that. Could be Jesus here. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the blazing fiery furnace. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the middle of the furnace. This is also why I think the door was in the side and not in the top. If you're climbing out of the, you might burn your hands. And, you know, and, what, and, and how would the king get up there? And it, it just, it, I think it makes sense. Why would, by the way, why would there be 
a hole the king could see through into the furnace. How could he see the how could he see all the guys in there? Why would there be a hole in the furnace? See if the bricks were done yet? Like when I look and see if the pizza's burned in the oven? There could be one other possibility. The, the, the um, oil-burning furnace I grew up with, the one that looked like a monster in my basement that I'd like one of you to talk me about and comfort me about later, because um, I still have nightmares about that stupid furnace with the arms and the bellows and everything. Um, it had holes. It had holes. It, I, I, maybe pressure, but I think it was also to let more air in. The fire just burns better with air in there. And you could also see if it was working because you could see the orange and everything else. And there just could be that holes like that just have a multi-purpose, you know, use, utilitarian use. Um, but then, so come on out. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors gathered together and looked at these men. And this is the key verse of the chapter, really. The fire had no power over their bodies. I say that because Reformed, I, I, that's what the Holy Spirit said. I'm saying this verse is important because there are Reformed commentators who say they found a cold spot in the furnace. They survived because they, they, they found an area where the hot wasn't quite so bad. However, not a hair on their head was singed their robes were not damaged, and most important of all, the smell of fire had not stuck to them. When I was a little boy, my next-door neighbor, uh, I called her Jones, uh, she smoked profusely. And when I came home, Mom knew I had been over to Jones's house. Um, when, uh, uh, in my early days here at St. Paul's, many of our shut-ins still smoked a lot. Um, that's 20 years ago. And when I would come home from certain houses, Kath would make me get undressed in the garage with the phrase, you're not stepping foot into my house smelling like that. And so that's because um, fire, smoke, sticks to your clothes, doesn't it? Why did they wear smoking jackets in the old days? So that the, the, the smoke would stick to the smoking jacket and you'd take it off. And Yes? Yeah, my, my portrait of Jesus, the big famous portrait of Jesus, where he's like looking up, you know, and he's, you know, kind of forehead glowing and stuff. That was from my grandmother's bedroom when their, when their house burned. Um, and for years, I could still smell the smoke on that painting. Yeah, yeah, same thing. It sticks and sticks. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and saved his servants. Should we take his, the king's word for it with angel here? Not necessarily, but glad he's getting it. Um, he sent his angel and saved his servants who trusted in God and ignored the king's command. They gave up their bodies and did not pay homage or worship any god except their god. He's big enough to admit that he was wrong. Um, so I have issued an order that every people, nation, and language that speaks any blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces, and his house shall be turned into a pile of rubble, because there is no other God who is able to save like this. He is not a man of subtle means. Um, now, he doesn't promote the worship of the true God. He forbids blasphemy against the true God. That's a step, isn't it? 
Um, I have one more thing to say uh, before we go. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And I want to point out, if I may, the four miracles of the text, if I can do that before we, before we go. I've also given you a copy of the apocryphal book, The Song of the Three Children, which is uh, written oh, sometime, I think, in the early days of the Christian church, supposedly by either Azariah, Shadrach, or by one of the others, or all three of them. You can look at it. Um, it's two pages long. It's one of the shorter apocryphal books, actually. But, um, oh, Ecclesiasticus is what, 50-some chapters? It's, the apocryphal books are enormous. Um, but, um, but I want to point out the four miracles of the text and see if you agree with me or, or if you can catch another one. Number one, First, most obvious miracle, the, the Sunday school application, the three men were not burned. They were saved, right? Three men were saved. Um, not even scorched, in fact. Second one, the appearance of the fourth one. I don't have a slide for this, I'm sorry. The appearance of the fourth individual who was probably Jesus. You know, and even if it was just an angel, is that still miraculous? Yes. Uh, Number three, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed. The king's heart is changed. And by the way, the next chapter we have is the last reference to Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, except like as the father of somebody. But so we've only got one more chance with this guy's faith. So this guy, he's, he's been introduced, his heart is softening a little bit. And then finally, um, this worked for the good of the people of Judah. You know, the preservation of the remnant and of God's people. He allowed the worship of the true God to continue. Did not say it was illegal. In fact, he now condemns blasphemy against the true God. Um, so at least those four miracles happen here. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.